0: Let's pray and ask God for His help before we open His Word. Thank You, Father, that You are a God who loves us and cares for us, and Your grace is amazing. We can't even imagine what our lives would be like without Your free gift, undeserved, that You bestow on us. Without measure. And so, Father, we just pause just to take a moment for each of us to thank you for your amazing grace. Father, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so we pray that we can be those who respond well and demonstrate to a watching world what that grace looks like in real life, how it impacts relationships and and marriages and parenting, business, recreation, how it makes us a better neighbor. Not a better neighbor, but a godly neighbor. So Father, be with us as we think about the grace that you give to us today through Jesus Christ and what he did to gain that grace for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're involved in a series of sermons about the life of Christ. And just so we're all on the same page, we have titled this series, Hashtag Jesus. And the hashtag is a a pound sign uh, or a number sign. And in social media, if you put it before a word, it categorizes and files that word or phrase for you. So you can say whatever you want to say and then put hashtag the subject and it's like the old folder and social media automatically digitally files that for you. So if you're one of the billion Facebook users or billion Google Plus users or one of the million Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn or Pinterest, that hashtag before the word automatically digitally files that for you in that social platform. It's a way to collect information. Well, that's basically what we're doing in this series. Hashtag Jesus, we're looking at all the information that the Uh, Bible writers, the gospel writers, have given us. And each of them had some special things, some specific things that they were writing about when they wrote their gospels. For instance, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he wanted his Jewish audience to know that Jesus was the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for. And so if he was using uh, um, social media, he would have put hashtag Messiah, Mark's gospel was more pastoral. He was writing to Christians in Rome and they were getting ready to face some pretty tough persecution. And Matthew wanted to write them to encourage them that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one you've been waiting for. In his gospel, he starts at the beginning of the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. And he focuses on this messianic title, Son of God, throughout his writings. He would have put hashtag Son of God. Luke writes to a man named Theophilus, Uh, he was a Greek, uh, we don't know who he was, he had a Greek name, so Luke is writing to a Greek, a non-Jew. And and listen to what he says when he he introduces his book. He says, many have undertaken, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty of the things that you've been taught. Luke says I have re-. Luke was a doctor. He's going to research this thing. He he interviewed people. He interviewed the disciples. He probably talked to Mary. He wanted to make sure what he put down was correct and was the story, always inspired by God. But Luke says, I have researched these things so you can know with certainty the things you've been taught. The Gospel of John, John was an evangelist. And he wanted non-believers to know who Jesus was. He writes in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is a Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John says, I could have included a lot of other stories. But I chose these ones specifically. So that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And so that you can believe in His name and have eternal life. Each of these four Gospels are written for a specific purpose, and we're looking at all of them as we consider the life of Christ with this purpose in mind. We want to know Jesus more intimately. We want to follow Him more passionately. And we want to obey Him wholeheartedly. We don't want to hold anything back. Don't you agree that the world has enough half-hearted Christians. The world is full of lukewarm believers, and people are fed up with churchgoers. They are looking at you tomorrow morning in your office, and they are looking for an authentic, genuine, full-out follower of Jesus Christ who knows Him intimately, who follows Him with passion, with no excuses, not ashamed and who obeys Him wholeheartedly. That's the purpose of our study of the life of Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. While you're turning there, let me set the context. Jesus spent the first 30 years of His life in the northern part of Israel in an area called Galilee. Little village of Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. When he was 30 years old, as we saw last time, he initiated his ministry by going south down to near the Dead Sea by the Jordan River where John the Baptist, his cousin, was baptizing people, getting them ready for him to come. And Jesus went into the water, and he was baptized. And you remember, uh, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came on him in the form of a dove. We don't know if it was a bodily Uh, form of a dove or descended like a dove. And the voice of God, the audible voice of God said, this is my son whom I love, whom I I am well pleased. One called it a family celebration. And then right after that celebration, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Let's read. What I want to do is let's read. Let me read. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. Let's just get this in our mind, and then we'll go back through each temptation. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He had ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by, on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. And so if you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, and Satan quotes from Psalm 91, 11, and 12, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully so that uh, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Right after the baptism, the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted. It's important to note That Satan did not lure Jesus into the desert, but the Holy Spirit led him there. This confrontation seems to have taken place over 40 days. The only way Luke would have known about this account, or the other gospel writers would have known what happened in the desert, would have been for Jesus to tell them. And so as Jesus relays the story, he chooses three examples, three real-life examples that really happened of his time in the desert. But it wasn't as if Satan only came to him three times. For 40 days, he was tempted. When you fast, you can eat some things and drink some things, but Luke wants us to know that Jesus ate nothing during that time. So he was famished. God led his son into the desert, escorted him into the battle at his weakest moment. God always took advantages away from Jesus, from from his birth on. There are three recorded temptations here, but there's one more inherent in the story. And that one is this. Jesus had to restrain himself the entire time, in fact, all of his life, to keep from wiping Satan off the face of the earth. And he could have done it. But he knew that something had to take place in his life. You remember in Matthew, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the mob came out to take him to the cross. And Peter pulled out uh, his dagger. Peter was a zealot. He carried a dagger with him. And they think that Peter was left-handed because he pulled out the, the dagger with his left hand and sliced off the left ear, or the right ear, rather, of the servant of a high priest. Remember this story? Jesus healed the man's ear, but here's what Jesus said. Put your sword back in its place. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? So Jesus had at His disposal from the very beginning the power to wipe Satan off the face of the earth. But He resisted because He knew that the cross had to come in order for Him to be the Savior of the world. Jesus then is in this weakened state, and he enters into what one commentator calls the showdown in the desert. Now I want to stop there a second and answer a question that uh, was emailed in this week or was put on uh, social media. By the way, if you have any questions and you're on Twitter or Facebook, put that question and then put hashtag hashtag. Jesus TBC, and we'll be able to collect it. That will go in our folder. Or, or if you want to email it in, or it or more at BibleChapel.org, or if you want to write it in, that's fine. But whatever your question is, we'd love to answer those during the series. And one question that came in this week was this one. Was it possible for Jesus to sin? Was it possible for Jesus to sin? That's a huge question we need to deal with as we're looking at the temptation. Let's think about that. Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? No one has ever been like him. No one will ever be like him. In his deity, he lost none of his humanity. And in his humanity, he put down none of his deity. Fully God, fully man. And it's not like half of him was God and half of him was man. All those were combined together throughout his life, obviously. But as we think about Jesus, we think about those two parts. So as we think about Jesus being fully God, who would we compare Him to? God, right? In fact, He came to reveal the Father to us. If we think about His humanity, is there anyone we could compare Him to? Someone who did not have original sin someone who had perfect, uh, open access to God, who might that be? Adam and Eve before the fall, right? So Adam, before the fall, Adam was not created with a the, with the sinful nature. Adam is often called, or Jesus is called, in 1 Corinthians 14, 45, the second Adam or the last Adam. So Paul compares him to Adam. Now, was Adam, without a sinful nature, capable of sinning? Yeah, and that's why we're in this mess we're in. (laughs) Was Jesus, without a sinful nature, capable of sinning? Yes, but he never did. Adam, in the garden, with everything around him, capable of sinning and did, Jesus in the desert and throughout his life, capable of sinning and he didn't. Now there's some debate there. So anytime there's debate, you need to go to a source, right? R.C. Sproul is always the source. (laughs) So here's what R.C. Sproul says. But then you have to push it one step further. Could Jesus have wanted to sin? Theologians are divided on this point. Sproul says, I would say yes. I think he could have. I think that's part of being made like after the likeness of Adam. When we're in heaven and totally glorified, then we will no longer have the power to sin. That's what we look forward to. That's what Jesus earned for himself and for us through his perfect obedience. Christ's perfect obedience was not a charade. He actually was victorious over every conceivable temptation that was thrown his way. Man, and that's what makes this temptation story so important and so powerful. This was not a dog and pony show. Jesus was led into the desert to enter into, at, his weak, at a weak state, to enter into a battle to be our Savior according to God's plan. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Here's the first temptation. The devil said to him, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become Bread. The devil says, You are hungry. You are famished. And you have the power to turn that stone into a loaf of bread. That's what you need and that's what you want. All you got to say is a word. Do it. If you are the Son of God and if you have that power, then prove it to me. Tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. It has been said. It is set. It is secure. These are the established words of God that will never change, that are settled forever in heaven. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. In the New Testament, when you see the Old Testament quoted, the writers will often put a verse or a couple verses And they know that their readers, who are Jewish, knew the Old Testament well. And so as soon as they put that verse, their readers will know the whole story of what happened. And so when Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, he is quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. This specifically is verse 3, but it carries the entire context of the story in chapter 8. And that's the story of God providing manna for the people as they traversed through the wilderness. God gave them manna not for a month at a time or a week at a time, but what? A day at a time. And they went and they gathered the manna just for that day, and then they went and ate it, having nothing for the next day, but they went back in, uh, out by the camp, and they got the manna, and they did the same thing for the next day. Day after day after day. And after a while they realized, it's not the bread that's keeping us alive. It's the giver of the bread. It's God himself who is keeping us alive. And that's why Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. I'm not going to turn that loaf, that rock into bread. That's not what sustains me. Even in my weakened state, that doesn't sustain me. Jesus is saying, I am depending on the Father not to let me die in the desert because he has greater plans for me. He desperately wanted food. Wouldn't you after 40 days? In a weakened state? But he is not willing to give in. He was tempted, but he never sinned. That's a lesson we can't miss. Here's a second temptation. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 5. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Standing on this high place, Satan, Satan dazzled Jesus, or tried to, with this amazing vision in technicolor of all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. And he said, just I have power over, I'm the prince of the world. I have power over all these. And all you need to do is to fall down and worship me, and I will give them to you. Now, let's think about that. Wasn't that what Jesus came to do? For the world to worship him. Jesus came with a sinless and pure ambition to be our Savior, it was his destiny to rule over all people. God God promised Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. In fact, in Psalm chapter 2, a a prophetic psalm, or sometimes we call it a messianic psalm about Jesus, 2.8, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. We read later that at, at the end of time, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what He came to do. Satan is going to give him what he came to do except a shortcut is involved. The temptation was this. God's plan involved suffering and the agony of the cross. It was going to be through the cross. Revelation 5 tells us that God would purchase from every person, from every tribe and language and people and nation, a a, a people for God. God was going to purchase people through the death of Christ. God's plan was the cross and then the kingdom. Satan's plan was the kingdom's without the cross, a shortcut. Satan is all about shortcuts. We'll talk about that later. Again, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. And I won't take time to read it, but he, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here he says, it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That Deuteronomy passage is a time when God is, is telling Moses, the people through Moses, that He's going to take them into a great land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And, uh, and you're, going to, you're going to eat crops you, ne- you never harvested. And, and you're going to live in houses you didn't build. I'm going to give it all to you by my grace. But God said, here's the danger There's going to come a time when you think you're the one who caused it all to happen. You're going to think because after you ate all that and you tilled the soil, that because you tilled the soil, you're the one who caused it to happen. You're going to think because you worked to build your house, you're the one who gave you all that. And Moses said, that's going to be the danger. God said through Moses, that's going to be the danger. So don't forget Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Only bow before Him. Don't bow before yourself. Bow before the one who gives you all these things. That's a danger for all of us, isn't it? How many of you in here think, I built my business. I have worked my tail off to create this success. I made those numbers come in that last quarter forgetting that if God hadn't given you the brains you have the training you have put you in the country you're in placed that job right before you there's no way any of that would have been accomplished even in our businesses our homes my children My home. That word my gets us in a lot of trouble. And when we use the word my in the wrong way, we are not worshiping God, but we're worshiping ourselves. And that's the second temptation that Jesus faced. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only, was Jesus' answer. By the way, um, how does Jesus answer every temptation? with the Word of God and if we're not reading the Word of God every day how in the world do we think we're going to resist the temptation of Satan third temptation look at verse 9 the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple when Herod the Great built the temple there was one corner of it that was extremely high, Josephus, the historian, says, if you could go up on that thing and look, it was a dazzling view. So Satan leads him up there, and Satan says this, here, just throw yourself down. People will gather, they'll see us up there, throw yourself down, and then on the way down, Psalm 91 said, that the angels will protect you. So throw yourself down. People will say, oh my goodness, he's fallen. And then right at the end, your body will just slow down. The angel will catch you. They'll stand you on your feet. And people will say, here's the Messiah. Well, Jesus wanted the people to see him as a Messiah, right? But there's another shortcut. Without the cross, Jesus answered Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the words of Moses, and they refer to a time when uh, the Israelites were beginning to wonder, as they often did in the desert, you know, is God really on our side or not? Is He going to take care of us or not? Is He really with us or not? And Moses said, what are you talking about? He's given you manna every day. He guides us at night. He guides us during the day. He's protecting us from our enemies. Even our weakest moment, vulnerable out here in the desert, God is with us. And Jesus uses that to say, and Moses tells the people of Israel, don't put God to the test. Don't test him. Jesus used that verse to tell Satan, It is written. It is established. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Look at verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. Jesus knows that Satan is not done with him. He's going to tempt him throughout his life. Here's the Savior who earned the right to be our Savior in that showdown in the desert. Two significant things as we wrap this up. Number one, Jesus never took a shortcut. Philippians chapter 2, 6 and 8. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was tempted by Satan all of his life, but he never capitulated. He never used being God to his own advantage. When you study the life of Jesus, he never used his deity for his personal needs. It was always for the needs of others. Now Satan will tempt us. At our weakest moments. And every one of us has some area of our life. That is. That, 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 that's weak. There's a propensity to sin. For you it's something. For me it's some, may something different. But there's a weak area in our life. And Satan knows that. He is not omniscient. But he is a student of Human nature, and he's a student of you and me, and he knows how to trip us up. And often he won't lead us right into the depths of the consequences of sin, but he will tempt us with things that are good, but out of bounds. One writer says this temptation is the enticement of a God given desire beyond God given bounds. Every temptation of Jesus was like that. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. Nothing wrong with people bowing down before him. That's why he came. Nothing down with nothing wrong with people worshipping him. That's why he came except there was a shortcut involved. A god given desire beyond god given bounds. So, I'm going to put this with you guys. Be honest. Between you and God right now. Are you taking any shortcuts? Are you giving in to any enticement of a God-given desire beyond God-given bounds? Some of you uh, are here and you're single and you desperately want a spouse. Maybe you're single again. And you know what Scripture says. You don't marry someone who's not a believer. But he's a nice guy. She's a great girl. Beautiful. She's nicer than most Christian girls I know. So on this one, I'm willing to take a shortcut. And those of you who have been through divorce and you're single again and you want to be married, man, I see this. This is such a dangerous area. Living together. Shortcuts. Some of you are going through a tough time in your marriage. You want to get out. Did you think this was going to be a piece of cake? It's not. you got to work at it. you got to stick with it. It's called commitment. It's that thing you did, for better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health. Don't take a shortcut. An affair is a shortcut. It's a God-given desire, right? God invented sex. Out of God given bounds of marriage. In your business. Any shortcuts. Yeah, I know, I know, no. Know. All the CEOs do that. That's how they do all their reporting. But see, you're not all the CEOs. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And he has placed you as a CEO. You don't do business the way other CEOs do it. You have one to follow. I know a lot of you guys are extremely successful salesmen and women. And you got that quarterly reports and quotas and all that. Man, it's tempting, isn't it? To play with those numbers. Everybody else does it. But you're not everybody else. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the one who puts you in that. See, do you believe reporting honestly, even if it looks to be your disadvantage on the sheet, don't you think God will take care of you? Remember, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Any shortcuts? Number two. Jesus experienced every temptation without sinning. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of the Hebrews says this as he compares Jesus to the Old Testament high priest. He says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can look every one of us in the eye. I don't care what your temptation is. I don't care how strong it is. I don't care how enticing it is. Jesus can look you right in the eye and say, I know what that temptation is like. And he can say, I never sinned. I didn't give in. And I can help you not give in to it. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows exactly. He won that right in the desert. And he won that right throughout his life. He never gave in. He knows what the full force of temptation is like. And he can stand there and say, I can sympathize and with my help, You don't have to give in to it. But you say, you know what? Come on, I'm different. Don't you know I'm special? I got a bunch of participation trophies at home. (laughs) I got an asterisk by my name. You see, you don't know my background. You don't know the parents that I grew up with. My goodness, if you had those parents... You'd have all kinds of propensities to sin. You, you don't understand. My, it's in my DNA. I was born that way. You don't understand the wounds that I have. I've gone through some tough stuff. And you can sit up there and you can spout it all off. But you've been married for 30-some 30, 30 years. And, and uh, three, four, 34 years. And... Uh, and I, and, I, and I didn't have it, and I did not want that divorce. And that's true. So, I got some wounds. So, don't tell me about this stuff. Let me give you a passage. It's not from me. It's from the Lord. It's 1 Corinthians 10-13. For all of you who think your temptation is a special case, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You know what Paul's saying? Don't think you're special. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He, you will never face a temptation that just overtakes you like a rogue wave as you're standing out in the ocean. You don't see it coming. You'll never be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, and you will be tempted, temptation is not sin. Giving in to temptation is sin. When you are tempted, he will provide a what? A way out so that you can endure it. He's either going to give you the strength not to give in, or he's going to say, let's get out of here. You don't have to stay here. Let's get out of the water so the rogue wave doesn't knock us over. Not going to knock him over, but you. He's going to provide a way out. Will you let him? It's a question. Because let's be, let's be honest. We have a desire to sin. We enjoy sin. Scripture says that. Scripture, uh, sin is fun for what? For a season. For a time. We want to do it. When we give in to sin, it's not because Jesus is not strong enough to keep us from sinning. It's because we want to sin. That's my problem. but he's always going to provide the strength you need or a way out if you let him. Look at verse 4. Let us then, because Jesus took on every temptation and never sinned, let us then approach the throne of what? Say with me. Grace. With confidence. I love that word confidence. You know what it means? It means freedom to speak boldly. (laughs) Lord, here I am again. Needing your help. I can speak boldly about this situation. So that we may receive mercy. And find grace. To help in our time of need. Going to God. The throne of grace. Asking for his help when we encounter that temptation and He will give us exactly what we need to do what He's called us to do. Now, as I wrap this up, let's just be clear about one thing. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted and didn't sin. Giving in to temptation is sin. And sin always has Consequences. So that you're, some of you are here, and you're, and you're, and you're getting. You think you're getting by with some secret sins. In fact, some of you think that your sin is putting you ahead of the game. You 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 rationalize them as strategic shortcuts, and you say, you know what? I've been doing this for the last fifteen years. Nothing's happened. I've been doing this for a month. Looks like it's pretty good. In fact, I'm getting ahead. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. This isn't from me. This is from Scripture. Three verses to wrap this up. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. So don't be deceived. I don't care how long you've been getting by with it. What you put in the ground is going to come up. And you sow the seeds of sin, it's going to sprout something extremely ugly in your life, in my life. Numbers, chapter 32, verse 23. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. You think you're hiding? Fooling yourself. First Timothy 5, 24. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Man, that's a convicting verse, isn't it? You think you're getting by with it? Sometimes we sin and it beats us home, the consequences. Sometimes we sin and we think we're getting by, but it's just that the consequences are trailing behind. They're going to catch up. If you're living with secret sin, the good news is this. You don't have to. You can't be the follower that Jesus wants you to be. You cannot be the business man or woman that God is calling you to be. You cannot be the, the spouse or the parent God is calling you to be if you have secret sin, if you're fondling secret sin in your life. It's going to come out, and it's going to be ugly. So deal with it. The beauty is, Hebrews chapter 4, 16, let us approach the throne of God of grace so that we can find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Deal with your sin. And you know what? Because we have a sinful nature, we have to deal with our sin every day. As one person said, keep a short list of sin in your life and take it before God.